To His Wife by Tertullian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book One. I have thought it meet, my best beloved fellow servant in the Lord, even from this early period, to provide for the course which you must pursue after my departure from the world, if I shall be called before you and to entrust to your honour the observance of the provision. For in things worldly we are active enough, and we wish the good of each of us to be consulted. If we draw up wills for such matters, why ought we not much more to take forethought for our posterity in things divine and heavenly, and in a sense to bequeath a legacy to be received before the inheritance be divided? the legacy I mean of admonition and demonstration, touching those bequests which are allotted out of our immortal goods and from the heritage of the heavens. Only that you may be able to receive in its entirety this fiofment in trust of my admonition, God grant, to whom be honour, glory, renown, dignity, and power, now and to the ages of the ages." The precept, therefore, which I give you is that, with all the constancy you may, you do, after our departure, renounce nuptials. Not that you will on that score confer any benefit on me, except in that you will profit yourself. But to Christians, after their departure from the world, no restoration of marriage is promised in the day of resurrection, translated as they will be into the condition and sanctity of angels therefore no solicitude arising from carnal jealousy will in the day of resurrection even in the case of her whom they chose to represent as having been married to seven brothers successively wound any one of her so many husbands nor is any husband awaiting her to put her to confusion the question raised by the sadducees has yielded to the lord's sentence Think not that it is for the sake of preserving to the end for myself the entire devotion of your flesh, that I, suspicious of the pain of anticipated slight, am even at this early period instilling into you the counsel of perpetual widowhood. There will at that day be no resumption of voluptuous disgrace between us. No such frivolities, no such impurities does God promise to his servants." But whether to you or to any other woman whatever who pertains to God, the advice which we are giving shall be profitable, we take leave to treat of at large. We do not indeed forbid the union of man and woman, blessed by God as the seminary of the human race, devised for the replenishment of the earth and the furnishing of the world, and thereafter permitted yet singly. For Adam was the one husband of Eve, and Eve his one wife, one woman, one rib. We grant that among our ancestors, and the patriarchs themselves, it was lawful not only to marry, but even to multiply wives. There were concubines too in those days. But although the church did come in figuratively in the synagogue, yet to interpret simply it was necessary to institute certain things which should afterward deserve to be either lopped off or modified. For the law was in due time to supervene. Nor was that enough, for it was meet that causes for making up the deficiencies of the law should have forerun him who was to supply those deficiencies. And so to the law presently had to succeed the word of God introducing the spiritual circumcision. Therefore, 
by means of the wide license of those days materials for subsequent emendations were furnished beforehand of which materials the lord by his gospel and then the apostle in the last days of the jewish age either cut off the redundancies or regulated the disorders but let it not be thought that my reason for premising thus much concerning the liberty granted to the old and the restraint imposed on the later time is that i may lay a foundation for teaching that christ's advent was intended to dissolve wedlock and to abolish marriage unions as if from this period onward i were prescribing an end to marrying let them see to that who among the rest of their perversities teach the disjoining of the one flesh in twain denying him who after borrowing the female from the male recombined between themselves in the matrimonial computation the two bodies taken out of the consortship of the selfsame material substance in short there is no place at all where we read that nuptials are prohibited of course on the ground that they are a good thing what however is better than this good we learn from the apostle who permits marrying indeed but prefers abstinence the former on account of the insidiousness of temptations the latter on account of the straits of the times now by looking into the reason thus given for each proposition it is easily discerned that the ground on which the power of marrying is conceded is necessity but whatever necessity grants she by her very nature depreciates in fact in that it is written to marry is better than to burn what pray is the nature of this good which is only commended by comparison with evil so that the reason why marrying is more good is merely that burning is less nay but how far better is it neither to marry nor to burn why even in persecutions it is better to take advantage of the permission granted and flee from town to town than when apprehended and racked to deny the faith and therefore more blessed are they who have strength to depart this life in blessed confession of their testimony i may say what is permitted is not good for how stands the case i must of necessity die if i be apprehended and confess my faith if i think that fate deplorable then flight is good but if i have a fear of the thing which is permitted the permitted thing has some suspicion attaching to the cause of its permission but that which is better no one ever permitted as being undoubted and manifest by its own inherent purity there are some things which are not to be desired merely because they are not forbidden albeit they are in a certain sense forbidden when other things are preferred to them for the preference given to the higher things is a dissuasion from the lowest a thing is not good merely because it is not evil nor is it evil merely because it is not harmful further that which is fully good excels on this ground that it is not only not harmful but profitable into the bargain for you are bound to prefer what is profitable to what is merely not harmful for the first place is what every struggle aims at the second has consolation attaching to it but not victory but if we listen to the apostle forgetting what is behind let us both strain after what is before and be followers after the better rewards thus albeit he does not cast a snare upon us he points out what tends to utility when he says the unmarried woman thinks on the things of the lord that both in body and spirit she may be holy but the married is solicitous how to please her husband but he nowhere permits marriage in such a way as not rather to wish us to do our utmost in imitation of his own example 
happy the man who shall prove like Paul. But we read that the flesh is weak, and hence we soothe ourselves in some cases. Yet we read too that the spirit is strong, for each clause occurs in one and the same sentence. Flesh is an earthly, spirit a heavenly material. Why then do we, too prone to self-excuse, put forward in our defence the weak part of us, but not look at the strong? Why should not the earthly yield to the heavenly, if the spirit is stronger than the flesh, because it is withal of nobler origin? It is our own fault if we follow the weaker. Now there are two phases of human weakness which make marriages necessary to such as are disjoined from matrimony. The first and most powerful is that which arises from fleshly concupiscence, the second from worldly concupiscence. But by us, who are servants of God, who renounce both voluptuousness and ambition, each is to be repudiated. Fleshly concupiscence claims the functions of adult age, craves after beauty's harvest, rejoices in its own shame, pleads the necessity of a husband to the female sex, as a source of authority and of comfort, or to render it safe from evil rumours. To meet these its counsels, do you apply the examples of sisters of ours, whose names are with the Lord, who, when their husbands have preceded them to glory, give to no opportunity of beauty or of age the precedence over holiness. They prefer to be wedded to God. To God their beauty, to God their youth is dedicated. With him they live, with him they converse, him they handle by day and by night. To the Lord they assign their prayers as dowries. From him, as oft as they desire it, they receive his approbation as dotal gifts. Thus they have laid hold for themselves of an eternal gift of the Lord, and while on earth, by abstaining from marriage, are already counted as belonging to the angelic family. Training yourself to an emulation of their constancy by the examples of such women, you will, by spiritual affection, bury that fleshly concupiscence in abolishing the temporal and fleeting desires of beauty and youth by the compensating gain of immortal blessings." On the other hand, this worldly concupiscence, to which I referred, has as its causes glory, cupidity, ambition, want of sufficiency, through which causes it trumps up the necessity for marrying, promising itself, forsooth, heavenly things in return, to lord it, namely, in another's family, to roost on another's wealth, to extort splendour from another's store, to lavish expenditure which you do not feel. Far be all this from believers, who have no care about maintenance, unless it be that we distrust the promises of God, and his care and providence, who clothes with such grace the lilies of the field, who without any labour on their part feeds the fowls of the heaven, who prohibits care to be taken about tomorrow's food and clothing, promising that he knows what is needful for each of his servants, not indeed ponderous necklaces." nor burdensome garments, nor Gallic mules, nor German bearers, which all add lustre to the glory of nuptials, but sufficiency, which is suitable to moderation and modesty. Presume, I pray you, that you have need of nothing if you attend upon the Lord, nay, that you have all things if you have the Lord, whose are all things. Think often on things heavenly, and you will despise things earthly. To widowhood signed and sealed before the Lord, naught is necessary but perseverance. 
further reasons for marriage which men allege for themselves arise from anxiety for posterity and the bitter bitter pleasure of children to us this is idle for why should we be eager to bear children whom when we have them we desire to send before us to glory in respect i mean of the distresses that are now imminent desirous as we are ourselves too to be taken out of this most wicked world and received into the lord's presence which was the desire even of an apostle to the servant of god forsooth offspring is necessary for of our own salvation we are secure enough so that we have leisure for children burdens must be sought by us for ourselves which are voided even by the majority of the gentiles who are compelled by laws who are decimated by abortions burdens which finally are to us most of all unsuitable as being perilous to faith for why did the lord foretell a woe to them that are with child and then that give suck except because he testifies that in the days of disencumbrance the encumbrances of children will be an inconvenience it is to marriage of course that those encumbrances appertain but that woe will not pertain to widows they at the first trump of the angel will spring forth disencumbered will freely bear to the end whatsoever pressure and persecution with no burdensome fruit of marriage heaving in the womb none in the bosom therefore whether it be for the sake of the flesh or of the world or of posterity that marriage is undertaken none of all these necessities affects the servants of god so as to prevent my deeming it enough to have once for all yielded to some one of them and by one marriage appeased all concupiscence of this kind let us marry daily and in the midst of our marrying let us be overtaken like sodom and gomorrah by that day of fear for there it was not only of course that they were dealing in marriage and merchandise but when he says they were marrying and buying he sets a brand upon the very leading vices of the flesh and of the world which call men off the most from divine disciplines the one through the pleasure of rioting the other through the greed of acquiring and yet that blindness then was felt long before the ends of the world what then will the case be if god now keep us from the vices which of old were detestable before him the time says the apostle is compressed it remaineth that they who have wives act as if they had them not but if they who have wives are thus bound to consign to oblivion what they have how much more are they who have not prohibited from seeking a second time what they no longer have so that she whose husband has departed from the world should thenceforward impose rest on her sex by abstinence from marriage abstinence which numbers of gentile women devote to the memory of beloved husbands when anything seems difficult let us survey others who cope with still greater difficulties how many are there who from the moment of their baptism set the seal of virginity upon their flesh how many again who by equal mutual consent cancel the debt of matrimony voluntary eunuchs for the sake of their desire after the celestial kingdom but if while the marriage tie is still intact abstinence is endured how much more when it has been undone for i believe it to be harder for what is intact to be quite forsaken than for what has been lost not to be yearned after a hard and arduous thing enough surely is the continence for god's sake of a holy woman after her husband's decease when gentiles in honour of their own satan endure sacerdotal offices which involve both virginity and widowhood 
at rome for instance they who have to do with the type of that inextinguishable fire keeping watch over the omens of their own future penalty in company with the old dragon himself are appointed on the ground of virginity to the archaean juno in the town of agium a virgin is allotted and the priestesses who rave at delphi know not marriage moreover we know that widows minister to the african ceres enticed away indeed from matrimony by a most stern oblivion for not only do they withdraw from their still living husbands but they even introduce other wives to them in their own room the husbands of course smiling on it all contact with males even as far as the kiss of their sons being forbidden them and yet with enduring practice they persevere in such a discipline of widowhood which excludes the solaces even of holy affection these precepts has the devil given to his servants and he is heard he challenges forsooth god's servants by the continents of his own as if on equal terms continent are even the priests of hell for he has found a way to ruin men even in good pursuits and with him it makes no difference to slay some by voluptuousness some by continence to us continence has been pointed out by the lord of salvation as an instrument for attaining eternity as a testimony of our faith as a commendation of this flesh of ours which is to be sustained for the garment of immortality which is one day to supervene for enduring in fine the will of god besides reflect i advise you that there is no one who is taken out of the world but by the will of god if as is the case not even a leaf falls off of a tree without the will of god the same who brings us into the world must of necessity take us out of it too therefore when through the will of god the husband is deceased the marriage likewise by the will of god deceases why should you restore what god has put an end to why do you by repeating the servitude of matrimony spurn the liberty which is offered you you have been bound to a wife says the apostle seek not loosing you have been loosed from a wife seek not binding for even if you do not sin in remarrying still he says pressure of the flesh ensues wherefore so far as we can let us love the opportunity of continence as soon as it offers itself let us resolve to accept it that what we have not had strength to follow in matrimony we may follow in widowhood the occasion must be embraced which puts an end to that which necessity commanded how detrimental to faith how obstructive to holiness second marriages are the discipline of the church and the prescription of the apostle declare when he suffers not men twice married to preside over a church when he would not grant a widow admittance into the order unless she had been the wife of one man for it behoves god's altar to be set forth pure that whole halo which encircles the church is represented as consisting of holiness priesthood is a function of widowhood and of celibacies among the nations of course this is in conformity with the devil's principle of rivalry for the king of heathendom the chief pontiff to marry a second time is unlawful how pleasing must holiness be to god when even his enemy affects it not of course as having any affinity with anything good but as contumeliously affecting what is pleasing to god the lord for concerning the honours which widowhood enjoys in the sight of god there is a brief summary in one saying of his through the prophet do thou justly to the widow and to the orphan and come ye let us reason saith the lord 
these two names left to the care of the divine mercy in proportion as they are destitute of human aid the father of all undertakes to defend look how the widow's benefactor is put on a level with the widow herself whose champion shall reason with the lord not to virgins i take it is so great a gift given although in their case perfect integrity and entire sanctity shall have the nearest vision of the face of god yet the widow has a task more toilsome because it is easy not to crave after that which you know not and to turn away from what you have never had to regret more glorious is the continence which is aware of its own right which knows what it has seen the virgin may possibly be held the happier but the widow the more hardly tasked the former in that she has always kept the good the latter in that she has found the good for herself in the former it is grace in the latter virtue that is crowned for some things there are which are of the divine liberality some of our own working the indulgences granted by the lord are regulated by their own grace the things which are objects of man's striving are attained by earnest pursuit pursue earnestly therefore the virtue of continence which is modesty's agent industry which allows not women to be wanderers frugality which scorns the world follow companies and conversations worthy of god mindful of that short verse sanctified by the apostle's quotation of it ill interviews good morals do corrupt talkative idle wine-bibbing curious tent-fellows do the very greatest hurt to the purpose of widowhood through talkativeness there creep in words unfriendly to modesty through idleness they seduce one from strictness through wine-bibbing they insinuate any and every evil through curiosity they convey a spirit of rivalry in lust not one of such women knows how to speak of the good of single husbandhood for their god as the apostle says is their belly and so too what is neighbour to the belly these considerations dearest fellow-servant i commend to you thus early handled throughout superfluously indeed after the apostle but likely to prove a solace to you in that if so it shall turn out you will cherish my memory in them book two very lately best beloved fellow-servant in the lord i as my ability permitted entered for your benefit at some length into the question what course is to be followed by a holy woman when her marriage has in whatever way been brought to an end let us now turn our attention to the next best advice in regard of human infirmity admonished hereto by the examples of certain who when an opportunity for the practice of continence has been offered them by divorce or by the decease of the husband have not only thrown away the opportunity of attaining so great a good but not even in their remarriage have chosen to be mindful of the rule that above all they marry in the lord and thus my mind has been thrown into confusion in the fear that having exhorted you myself to perseverance in single husbandhood and widowhood i may now by the mention of precipitate marriages put an occasion of falling in your way but if you are perfect in wisdom you know of course that the course which is the more useful is the course which you must keep but inasmuch as that course is difficult and not without its embarrassments and on this account is the highest aim of widowed life i have paused somewhat in my urging you to it nor would there have been any causes for my recurring to that point also in addressing you had i not by this time taken up a still graver solicitude 
for the nobler is the continence of the flesh which ministers to widowhood the more pardonable a thing it seems if it be not preserved in for it is then when things are difficult that their pardon is easy but in as far as marrying in the lord is permissible as being within our power so far more culpable is it not to observe that which you can observe add to this the fact that the apostle with regard to widows and the unmarried advises them to remain permanently in that state when he says but i desire all to persevere in imitation of my example but touching marrying in the lord he no longer advises but plainly bids therefore in this case especially if we do not obey we run a risk because one may with more impunity neglect an advice than an order in that the former springs from counsel and is proposed to the will for acceptance or rejection the other descends from authority and is bound to necessity in the former case to disregard appears liberty in the latter contumacy therefore when in these days a certain woman removed her marriage from the pale of the church and united herself to a gentile and when i remembered that this had in days gone by been done by others wondering at either their own waywardness or else the double dealing of their advisers in that there is no scripture which holds forth a license of this deed i wonder said i whether they flatter themselves on the ground of that passage of the first epistle to the corinthians where it is written if any of the brethren has an unbelieving wife and she consents to the matrimony let him not dismiss her similarly let not a believing woman married to an unbeliever if she finds her husband agreeable to their continued union dismiss him for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife and the unbelieving wife by the believing husband else were your children unclean it may be that by understanding generally this monition regarding married believers they think that license is granted thereby to marry even unbelievers god forbid that he who thus interprets the passage be wittingly ensnared himself but it is manifest that this scripture points to those believers who may have been found by the grace of god in the state of gentile matrimony according to the words themselves if it says any believer has an unbelieving wife it does not say takes an unbelieving wife it shows that it is the duty of one who already living in marriage with an unbelieving woman has presently been by the grace of god converted to continue with his wife for this reason to be sure in order that no one after attaining to faith should think that he must turn away from a woman who is now in some sense an alien and stranger accordingly he subjoins withal a reason that we are called in peace unto the lord god and that the unbeliever may through the use of matrimony be gained by the believer the very closing sentence of the period confirms the supposition that this is thus to be understood as each it says is called by the lord so let him persevere but it is gentiles who are called i take it not believers but if he had been pronouncing absolutely in the words under discussion touching the marriage of believers merely then had he virtually given to saints a permission to marry promiscuously if however he had given such a permission he would never have subjoined a declaration so diverse from and contrary to his own permission saying the woman when her husband is dead is free let her marry whom she wishes only in the lord here at all events there is no need for reconsidering for what there might have been reconsideration about the spirit has oracularly declared for fear we should make an ill use of what he says let her marry whom she wishes 
he has added only in the Lord, that is, in the name of the Lord, which is undoubtedly to a Christian. That Holy Spirit, therefore, who prefers that widows and unmarried women should persevere in their integrity, who exhorts us to a copy of himself, prescribes no other manner of repeating marriage except in the Lord. To this condition alone does he concede the foregoing of continence. Only, he says, in the Lord, he has added to his law a weight, only. Utter that word with what tone and manner you may, it is weighty. It both bids and advises, both enjoins and exhorts, both asks and threatens. It is a concise, brief sentence, and by its own brevity, eloquent. Thus is the divine voice wont to speak, that you may instantly understand, instantly observe. For who but could understand that the apostle foresaw many dangers and wounds to faith in marriages of this kind, which he prohibits? and that he took precaution in the first place against the defilement of holy flesh in gentile flesh. At this point someone says, What then is the difference between him who is chosen by the Lord to himself in the state of gentile marriage, and him who was of old, that is before marriage, a believer, that they should not be equally cautious for their flesh, whereas the one is kept from marriage with an unbeliever, the other bidden to continue in it? why if we are defiled by a gentile is not the one disjoined just as the other is not bound i will answer if the spirit give me ability alleging before all other arguments that the lord holds it more pleasing that matrimony should not be contracted than that it should at all be dissolved in short divorce he prohibits except for the cause of fornication but continence he commends let the one, therefore, have the necessity of continuing the other further, even the power of not marrying. Secondly, if according to the scripture, they who shall be apprehended by the faith in the state of Gentile marriage are not defiled thereby for this reason, that, together with themselves, others also are sanctified. Without doubt, they who have been sanctified before marriage, if they commingle themselves with strange flesh, cannot sanctify that flesh in union with which they were not apprehended. The grace of God, moreover, sanctifies that which it finds. Thus, what has not been able to be sanctified is unclean. What is unclean has no part with the holy unless to defile and slay it by its own nature. If these things are so, it is certain that believers contracting marriages with Gentiles are guilty of fornication and are to be excluded from all communication with the brotherhood in accordance with the letter of the apostle who says that with persons of that kind there is to be no taking of food even. Or shall we in that day produce our marriage certificates before the Lord's tribunal, and allege that a marriage such as he himself has forbidden has been duly contracted? What is prohibited in the passage just referred to is not adultery, it is not fornication. The admission of a strange man to your couch less violates the temple of God, less commingles members of Christ with the members of an adulteress. So far as I know, we are not our own, but bought with a price. And what kind of price? The blood of God. In hurting this flesh of ours, therefore, we hurt him directly. What did that man mean who said that to wed a stranger was indeed a sin, but a very small one, whereas in other cases, setting aside the injury done to the flesh which pertains to the Lord, every voluntary sin against the Lord is great? For in so far as there was a power of avoiding it, in so far is it burdened with the charge of contumacy. 
let us now recount the other dangers or wounds as i have said to faith foreseen by the apostle most grievous not to the flesh merely but likewise to the spirit too for who would doubt that faith undergoes a daily process of obliteration by unbelieving intercourse evil confabulations corrupt good morals how much more fellowship of life and indivisible intimacy any and every believing woman must of necessity obey god and how can she serve two lords the lord and her husband a gentile to boot for in obeying a gentile she will carry out gentile practices personal attractiveness dressing of the head worldly elegancies baser blandishments the very secrets even of matrimony tainted not as among the saints the duties of the sex are discharged with honour shown to the very necessity which makes them incumbent with modesty and temperance as beneath the eyes of god but let her see to the question how she discharges her duties to her husband to the lord at all events she is unable to give satisfaction according to the requirements of his discipline having at her side a servant of the devil his lord's agent for hindering the pursuits and duties of believers so that if a station is to be kept the husband at daybreak makes an appointment with his wife to meet him at the baths if there are fasts to be observed the husband that same day holds a convivial banquet if a charitable expedition has to be made never is family business more urgent for who would suffer his wife for the sake of visiting the brethren to go round from street to street to other men's and indeed to all the poorer cottages who will willingly bear her being taken from his side by nocturnal convocations if need be so who finally will without anxiety endure her absence all the night long at the paschal solemnities who will without some suspicion of his own dismiss her to attend that lord's supper which they defame who will suffer her to creep into prison to kiss a martyr's bonds nay truly to meet any one of the brethren to exchange the kiss to offer water for the saint's feet to snatch somewhat for them from her food from her cup to yearn after them to have them in her mind if a pilgrim brother arrive what hospitality for him in an alien home if bounty is to be distributed to any the granaries the storehouses are foreclosed but some husband does endure our practices and not annoy us here therefore there is a sin in that gentiles know our practices in that we are subject to the privity of the unjust in that it is thanks to them that we do any good work he who endures a thing cannot be ignorant of it or else if he is kept in ignorance because he does not endure it he is feared but since scripture commands each of two things namely that we work for the lord without the privity of any second person and without pressure upon ourselves it matters not in which quarter you sin whether in regard to your husband's privity if he be tolerant or else in regard to your own affliction in avoiding his intolerance cast not saith he your pearls to swine lest they trample them to pieces and turn round and overturn you also your pearls are the distinctive marks of even your daily conversation the more care you take to conceal them the more liable to suspicion you will make them and the more exposed to the grasp of gentile curiosity shall you escape notice when you sign your bed or your body when you blow away some impurity when even by night you rise to pray and will you not be thought to be engaged in some work of magic will not your husband know what it is which you secretly taste before taking any food and if he knows it to be bread 
does he not believe it to be that bread which it is said to be and will every husband ignorant of the reason of these things simply endure them without murmuring without suspicion whether it be bread or poison some it is true do endure them but it is that they may trample on that they may make sport of such women whose secrets they keep in reserve against the danger which they believe in in case they ever chance to be hurt they do endure wives whose dowries by casting in their teeth their christian name they make the wages of silence while they threaten them forsooth with a suit before some spy as arbitrator which most women not foreseeing have been wont to discover either by the extortion of their property or else by the loss of their faith the handmaid of god dwells amid alien labours and among these labours on all the memorial days of demons at all solemnities of kings at the beginning of the year at the beginning of the month she will be agitated by the odour of incense and she will have to go forth from her house by a gate wreathed with laurel and hung with lanterns as from some new constituary of public lusts will have to sit with her husband oft-times in club meetings oft-times in taverns and wont as she was formerly to minister to the saints will sometimes have to minister to the unjust and will she not hence recognize a prejudgment of her own damnation in that she tends to them whom formerly she was expecting to judge whose hand will she yearn after of whose cup will she partake what will her husband sing to her or she to her husband from the tavern i suppose she who sups upon god will hear somewhat from hell what mention of god arises what invocation of christ where are the fosterings of faith by the interspersion of the scriptures in conversation where the spirit where refreshment where the divine benediction all things are strange all inimical all condemned aimed by the evil one for the attrition of salvation if these things may happen to those women also who having attained the faith while in the state of gentile matrimony continue in that state still they are excused as having been apprehended by god in these very circumstances and they are bidden to persevere in their married state and are sanctified and having hope of making again held out to them if then a marriage of this kind contracted before conversion stands ratified before god why should not one contracted after conversion too go prosperously forward so as not to be thus harassed by pressures and straits and hindrances and defilements having already as it has the partial sanction of divine grace because on the one hand the wife in the former case called from among the gentiles to the exercise of some eminent heavenly virtue is by the visible proofs of some marked divine regard a terror to her gentile husband so as to make him less ready to annoy her less active in laying snares for her less diligent in playing the spy over her he has felt mighty works he has seen experimental evidences he knows her changed for the better thus even he himself is by his fear a candidate for god thus men of this kind with regard to whom the grace of god has established a familiar intimacy are more easily gained but on the other hand to descend into forbidden ground unsolicited and spontaneously is quite another thing things which are not pleasing to the lord of course offend the lord are of course introduced by the evil one a sign hereof is this fact that it is wooers only who find the christian name pleasing and accordingly some heathen men are found not to shrink in horror from christian women just in order to exterminate them to wrest them away to exclude them from the faith so long as marriage of this kind is procured by the evil one 
but condemned by god you have a reason why you need not doubt that it can in no case be carried to a prosperous end let us further inquire as if we were in very deed inquisitors of divine sentences whether they be lawfully thus condemned even among the nations do not all the strictest lords and most tenacious of discipline interdict their own slaves from marrying out of their own house in order of course that they may not run into levitious excess desert their duties purvey their lord's goods to strangers yet further have not the nations decided that such women as have after their lord's formal warning persisted in intercourse with other men's slaves may be claimed as slaves shall earthly disciplines be held more strict than heavenly prescripts so that gentile women if united to strangers lose their liberty ours conjoin to themselves the devil's slaves and continue in their former position forsooth they will deny that any formal warning has been given them by the lord through his apostle what am i to fasten on as the cause of this madness except the weakness of faith ever prone to the concupiscences of worldly joys which indeed is chiefly found among the wealthier for the more any is rich and inflated with the name of matron the more capacious house does she require for her burdens as it were a field wherein ambition may run its course to such the churches look paltry a rich man is a difficult thing to find in the house of god and if such an one is found there difficult is it to find such unmarried what then are they to do whence but from the devil are they to seek a husband apt for maintaining their sedan and their mules and their hair curlers of outlandish stature a christian even although rich would perhaps not afford all these set before yourself i beg of you the example of gentiles most gentile women noble in extraction and wealthy in property unite themselves indiscriminately with the ignoble and the mean sought out for themselves for luxurious or mutilated for licentious purposes some take up with their own freedmen and slaves despising public opinion provided they may but have husbands from whom to fear no impediment to their own liberty to a christian believer it is irksome to wed a believer inferior to herself in a state destined as she will be to have her wealth augmented in the person of a poor husband for if it is the poor not the rich whose are the kingdoms of the heavens the rich will find more in the poor than she brings him or than she would in the rich she will be dowered with an ampler dowry from the goods of him who is rich in god let her be on an equality with him on earth who in the heavens will perhaps not be so is there need for doubt and inquiry and repeated deliberation whether he whom god has entrusted with his own property is fit for dotal endowments whence are we to find words enough fully to tell the happiness of that marriage which the church cements and the oblation confirms and the benediction signs and seals which angels carry back the news of to heaven which the father holds for ratified for even on earth children do not rightly and lawfully wed without their father's consent what kind of yoke is that of two believers partakers of one hope one desire one discipline one and the same service both are brethren both fellow-servants no difference of spirit or of flesh nay they are truly two in one flesh where the flesh is one one is the spirit too together they pray together prostrate themselves together perform their fasts mutually teaching mutually exhorting mutually sustaining 
equally are they both found in the church of god equally at the banquet of god equally in straits in persecutions in refreshments neither hides aught from the other neither shuns the other neither is troublesome to the other the sick is visited the indigent relieved with freedom alms are given without danger of ensuing torment sacrifices attended without scruple daily diligence discharged without impediment there is no stealthy signing no trembling greeting no mute benediction between the two echo psalms and hymns and they mutually challenge each other which shall better chant to their lord such things when christ sees and hears he joys to these he sends his own peace where two are therewithal is he himself where he is there the evil one is not these are the things which that utterance of the apostle has beneath its brevity left to be understood by us these things if need shall be suggest to your own mind by these turn yourself away from the examples of some to marry otherwise is to believers not lawful is not expedient end of to his wife by tertullian